Oh, welcome to the uh, Free Rohingya Coalition Genocide Podcast. Uh, I am Zani. Uh, it's the 30th of June, um, about noon in UK. Um, I am incredibly privileged and uh, very pleased uh, to have our sister um, Tasnim Nazia. Uh, cor correct my pronunciation um, if, if I'm um, butchering your name. Um, uh, Tasnim is an award-winning uh, the journalist, uh, the author, uh, a mother of five children, four boys and a girl, um, the, you know, like working from home, and she is considered a role model for women, not just Muslim women, who can be a mother, uh, enjoy the motherhood, and still pursue her career, uh, you know, to, as a journalist, and she has contributed uh, to the, uh, you know, Huffington Post, uh, BBC, um, and other publications, uh, Byline Times. Um, the, her writings are extremely beautiful and detailed. Um, and she's also appeared on BBC Four, uh, that is the uh, Britain's uh, flagship uh, radio program. Uh, Woman's Hour appear on a different um, the BBC channel discussing um, Islam. Uh, appeared in the big debate on the uh, um, you know on philosophy and uh, other uh, issues of uh, pertinence today uh, that concern the um, uh, the mothers of uh, the working mothers um, Islam and um, uh, you know other uh, issues that concern both she and I and she has been an ex extremely supportive. A voice in the case of uh, the Burmese genocide and my country's genocide against the Rohingya Muslim people. And um, uh, welcome, sister. I, I want to ask you to tell the um, listeners um, about your own story because, uh, you know, we often talk about authors and the journalists uh, the professionally, but it's important to know that, um, you know, someone like you who comes into media, journalism, and, and writing, you know, like you write their children's literature, um, that, you know, who, who they really are as, as human person, you know. Um, and then we go into the, um, you know, the, the, the issues that, that concern us both, that is um, the lives of minorities and policies of discrimination and uh, a persecution of essentially Muslim uh, community and, uh, you know, Elam Tamil, uh, the autonomy-minded uh, Tamil community in Sri Lanka, where yeah. uh, your roots are. Yeah, no, thank you so much, um, Dr. Zani, for calling me on the show. It's, it's a privilege to be speaking to you, and I very much admire all the work that you do as well in your capacity, so I think it's um, fantastic. And just a bit really about my background. I am a Sri Lankan Muslim myself, but I was born in London, um, and both my parents are Sri Lanka and my husband is Sri Lankan so I have roots back in the country um, in terms of my work I've always been I've always enjoyed writing from an early age and this spurred me to actually go and travel to different countries so I went to Sri Lanka I went to France for example when they were um, having issues with Islamophobia and really get to go on the ground and speak to underrepresented voices which I thought was 
really important. And um, from a from you know from years ago, I've always been very much passionate about human rights, um, especially our Rohingya Muslim community who has been you know persecuted in an unprecedented manner um, by the by Myanmar. And I think that. Um, despite the fact that many activists such as myself and yourself and other people are doing their best and what's happened with the ICC as well, they still need that accountability and justice. Myanmar still doesn't really acknowledge um, what's happened to them. So there's di various different issues that I cover as in my capacity as a journalist. And then I have another element to me as a mother where I'm, you know, looking after my kids and husband and trying my best to balance the, the best of both. But I think for anybody, you know, if you're passionate about something, um, this can enable you to achieve and to, um, you know, if you have good intentions of what you want to do in your life, um, you'll be able to do it. Yes. And um, take us, um, uh, you know, back to your, uh, your country of ancestry, uh, Sri Lanka. Um, um, there have been, you know, disturbing news about uh, church bombing, and then yeah. the, uh, you know, the uh, Buddhist monk-led campaign against, uh, you know, uh, Muslims for halal meat and, and um, you know, all the uh, um, consumer boycott. And then, like, you know, um, um, then we'll get into uh, the uh, Sri Lankers and brutal civil war. But first, yeah. um, the, tell us. Um, what is the conditions, the political uh, as well as um, you know the cultural and economic conditions under which um, Muslim minorities live in um, Sri Lanka? Well, to be honest, um, Dr. Zani, Muslims are currently living in fear in the country. They, they feel that they cannot speak out against the injustice and discrimination that they face from the government. Uh, many stores, for example, do not like Muslims coming into their stores to purchase items, um, especially visibly uh, Muslim women, for example. The burqa and the niqabs being banned post the um, Easter bombings. Um, and it's not just for identification purposes, because when Miss Muslim, Sri Lankan Muslim women say that, you know, they're happy to be identified and show security personnel, they wouldn't allow it. So it's, it's definitely this um, atmosphere fear of Islamophobia, um, clearly showing their hatred towards Muslims and their um, lack of wanting to create actionable steps to create harmony within the country. In fact, um, many of the Muslims in Sri Lanka feel that this is a government conspiracy to just like what they did with the Tamils, they're singling out now the Muslims in a similar manner so that they too feel isolated and um, not able to integrate within the society that they live in despite having integrated harmoniously all this time the actual easter bombings have um given the government room um to one thing to get into power and secondly to further persecute the uh, muslims in the region yeah but the, you you talk about the government um the conspiracy uh, but you know, as soon as like uh, somebody, um, you know, uh, something or a, um, a statement or a story uh, is uh, presented as conspiracy, all of a sudden, you know, that story loses credibility, right? And yeah. um, uh, of course, you know, uh, the, the, as you know, uh, Edward Snowden has said, uh, you know, that basically 
um, a lot of conspiracy turn out to be true. You know that. Yes. You know that because uh, he was uh, uh, one of the men behind this, uh, behind the curtain, monitoring everything. And uh, but I, I want to return to that the Easter bombing thing. Uh, yeah. Because you know, re um, it has been widely reported in very very credible uh, yeah, media outlets that Indian government, particularly Indian, uh, you know, intelligence services had warned or like you know, passed on a, a critical uh, piece of intelligence information that there may be some terrorist plots being pursued. And the uh, Colombo, uh, the Sri Lankan government essentially set on that piece of information and let that bombing take place yeah is that what you are referring to when you use the word conspiracy that uh, the government appeared to have wanted that bombing to happen can, exactly. you, can you elaborate on on that one that that's exactly what i was um referring to because it was actually a group of muslims um in sri lanka not only from the eastern province where the um, terrorists had originated from but also with there was a body an islamic body within sri lanka who actually sent documents and evidence to the former prime minister mahinda rajapaksa showing that the there was an attack imminent and there was um plans that this this particular Zahran, who was a terrorist, um, did want to uh, propagate, you know, hatred and had very terrorist ideologies. And they brought this to the attention. This was actually given to them. So they had all the evidence there to reprimand him or, you know, put him in prison. However, they didn't act on it. And this is why Muslims are saying, when we warned you, we didn't want this to happen. We wanted him to be, you know, um, taken in in the eyes of the law and, and um, you know, um, put a stop to his kind of teachings. They didn't do it. So this is why they're saying now, they feel that the government wanted this to happen they wanted to cause this division and 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 this was solely because they wanted um gothabaya rajapaksa to come into power who and he now is indeed in power so um a lot of muslims feel this was the reason behind it yeah well what is the um uh, the makeup of the muslim population in terms of its uh, percent uh, you know population percentage share um, yeah, my understanding is Sri Lanka is like my own country, Burma, uh, yeah. pre predominantly uh, Theravada Buddhist country. That's but, right. Yeah. Uh, the, what percentage of um, total Sri Lankan population is made up of, uh, uh, say, Sri Lankan uh, Muslims? It's 10%. Um, Sri Lankan Muslims account for 10% um, of the population, so they are a real minority. Uh, then you have um, Sri Lankan, mostly to either Tamil Christian and Sinhalese Christians, but the majority is uh, of the Buddhist faith uh, in Sri Lanka, and they're, they're referred to as the Sinhalese. Right. And then you also have um, the, uh, uh, the different uh, um, types of um, Tamils. Uh, yes. Some Tamils uh, will be would consider themselves uh, quote-unquote natives meaning that they've been there for centuries and yeah. some tamils uh would be viewed as um those who transmigrated uh, during the uh, british colonial times and so there, there are different types of uh, tamil communities with uh, different uh, 
uh, level of root or rootedness in uh, Sri Lanka. Am I correct? Yes, yes, there is. And there's some Tamils that have also come in from India as well. They, they have a lot of uh, cross, you know, they cross over quite a lot as well. So there are a variety of Tamils from the Hindu faiths, Christian faiths. Um, and then obviously Muslims in the country predominantly speak Tamil as well. So they share that kind of cultural language. Um, so, you know, these groups obviously find themselves in a position where they are often targeted by the majority, um, unfortunately, but they, they do get along very well with some of the Sinhalese um, Buddhist neighbours. For example, in our family um, in Sri Lanka, we do have Buddhist um, Sinhalese neighbours who are lovely. Um, so, and, and, and everybody can't be painted with the same brush, but I think what it is, it's, it's the actual government kind of um, groups that they create that are propagating hate and causing division. It's not actually the normal public. Yeah, I, I can totally relate to that, uh, you know, in, in my own um, in, uh, investigation about, um, you know, the persecution of um, Muslim minorities and uh, to a lesser extent other uh, Christians as well by the Burmese, um, uh, you know, uh, majority, you know, uh, the, both the government and the society. Um, I think, you know, Sri Lanka and Burma are among the uh, a small number of uh, Theravada Buddhist countries that yes. also have very, very close link uh, oh, yeah. culturally going back to centuries. Uh, the from the through the eyes of the Burmese Buddhists, uh, Sri Lanka is considered this uh, fortress of Buddhism. Yeah? Yes. Uh, the, the the Buddhists in Sri Lanka have this uh, victim mentality that uh, you know the, the the Buddhism was driven out of uh, uh, the Indian subcontinent after yeah. the Muslim conquest uh, of India. And uh, also like the, you know, the Buddhism was uh, uh, very much opposed by the upper caste, um, um, the Hindu Brahmins and the ru Hindu ruling class in India yeah. uh, because of its um, essentially egalitarian ethos. And so this sort of philosophy doesn't sit well in an extremely stratified, um, you know, caste system of India. So there are a lot of, um, you know, so the, the Buddhism in India, uh, sorry, Sri Lanka, uh, uh, has the militant edge, yeah, because yeah. it's always, uh, you know, the, this us versus them, and us, right. we are surrounded by enemies type of uh, mentality, and, exactly. and that is, uh, and then so, so in in my country and as well as in Sri Lanka, the major, the, although Buddhist majorities in respective countries yeah. are majoritarian. Yeah, they are majority. They control the um, you know, institutions of power and, yeah. and economy and armed forces, most importantly. Yeah. They feel they are under threat. They are under siege. So that sort of like victim mentality often gives rise to violent militaristic uh, and nationalistic uh, the ideology, and yeah. you know, I work with the Tamil community, Elam Tamil uh, community, uh, and so I, I got to learn, uh, you know, this parallel between my own Buddhist society and uh, uh, you know Sri Lanka. But as you rightly pointed out, you know, the, the 
the Buddhism is supposed to be about, you know, like uh, harmony. And then, yes. and then, you know, you can say that about Islam as well. Like exactly. Islam, Islam uh, you know, the, the, uh, the Islamic greeting is like, you know, the, the peace. peace or and so can, can you expand on when, on what you said about the government's role and groups that government create that go around and um, launch these hate campaigns? Yes, well, exactly. I mean, what you said is exactly right. And drawing on what you said regarding these groups, there's one particular group in Sri Lanka called the Bodhubala Sena. Now, they're renowned for uh, the anti-Muslim riots that happened in 2014 in Aluskama. They also have um, distributed a lot of propaganda against Muslims and the minorities in the country. They also targeted Christians in the country as well. Um, you know, with their kind of, um, uh, for example, their Christian statues, they were, you know, sabotaging some of them. So it's not only the Muslims that they actually targeted, but now it's, it's really intensifying against Muslims. And these groups are supported by the government. Some government officials often go to protests with their leaders. They also um, have very close links in Myanmar as well. Um, there was a monk, I think his name was Thiro. Um, Wiratu. Yeah, Virati, that's right, who is quite a prominent monk who uh, the uh, prime, former Prime Minister Mahinda Rajapaksa had visited personally with uh, the Bodhubalusina leader uh, to get some blessings and things like that. But their, their views and their ideologies about Muslims are to cast them out because they want to make Sri Lanka... Um, a country which they believe should be purely following Buddhism and not have any kind of uh, visible other faiths, um, you know, that are, you know, kind of prominently be seen. Like with Muslims, you can prominently see who's a Muslim, either if they wear a hijab or, or sometimes Muslim clothing, it becomes quite visible uh, to the public. And I think that they, they're feeling as if, uh, they, they even quoted in saying that, you know, we're, the Muslims are trying to make Sri Lanka like Saudi Arabia. I and mean, if that's what they want to do, they should go back to Saudi Arabia. And silly comments like that, despite the fact that, you know, Sri Lankans, Muslims have been born and bred in Sri Lanka and see that as their country. But they kind of want to create that division amongst the people. Um, and this has been, been happening now for, for years now. I think it's been brewing and it's, it's been getting worse since the bombings, Easter bombings. Right. Um, that you mentioned um, body balusina. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, uh, I, I suppose that's the um, Pali or the uh, Buddhist um, sacred language. Uh, uh, it means, uh, uh, if my memory serves me well, uh, Buddhist force. Yes. And uh, um, the, the, you know, the, I actually had um, you know all. Uh, three solid hour, you know, one-on-one -on -one closed door discussion with the head of the BBS in Bangkok. Really? Yes, oh, in wow. 2014, um, yes. March. Um, and uh, I think the, the, this monk, you know, youngish, must be in his early 40s or mid 40s now. He went to visit. Uh, he He's, um, I think, what's it called? Hero Nyana, Nyana, 
Ganasara, yes. Ganasara, yeah, Ganasara. Um, you know, the, uh, he went to visit uh, Viradu, his Burmese counterpart. Basically, yes. these are, you know, hate mongers and uh, yeah. you know, like uh, racist demagogues uh, yeah. donning the rope of a, a, a Buddhist monk. So yes. he went to visit, uh, um, you know, Viradu in my hometown called Mendeley oh, in the right. upper part of uh, Burma in yes. March 2014. And um, uh, a Buddhist uh, scholar friend in Bangkok arranged uh, for me and him to have a, to sit down and discuss, uh, you know, the, the issues that concern um, the Buddhists. And, um, yes. you know, like, uh, towards the end of a three-hour one-on-one, at times very heated exchange, yes. um, he admitted that, um, you know, that he was a Sinhalese nationalist. And I told him, if you are a nationalist, why don't you take off your uh, Buddhist uniform and yes. join the army or you know join the government or just to be a lay person and say i'm a sinhalese nationalist i want yes. to promote sinhalese nationalism instead of wrapping yourself uh, in the discourse of buddhism yeah? exactly and then so so the but as you know he he was thrown into jail yes. and um the roger paksha's um brother uh, uh, was uh, I think at, uh, the no he was thrown into jail in Sri Lanka for inciting hatred towards Muslim or yeah. like getting involved in some kind of violent event against Muslims or Christians or both that's, that's and right, then yeah. they, he was pardoned in a presidential amnesty and the president uh, uh, the previous president um, not the Rajafaksa brothers, received in, in his presidential office along with this monk's mother. Yeah. So, yeah. so this is the kind of a very, very tight connection. Yes. Hate mongers in Buddhist garb. And, yeah. uh, you know, the, the powerful figures have the same in Burma as well. You know, we yeah. are has been patronized and protected by the Burmese, uh, uh, you know, uh, the top generals. Yeah. And so, um, can you tell us why, um, you know, the, um, uh, the, the Tamils have also been targeted for state persecution? I think with the liberation of tigers of Tamil Elam, that was formed because they were fighting for their rights. They felt that they were also targeted by the Sinhalese authorities, and this led them to, uh, you know, they, they were so they were feeling so persecuted. They were feeling that their rights were discriminated. They were heavily discriminated against. So they took it upon themselves to create the LTTE as an armed Tam Tamil rebel group to fight against what they felt were their rights and they wanted to have Jaffna as you know their kind of home as well uh, and be seen and present within the diaspora of Sri Lanka but you see it unfortunately it turned into something quite of a brutal war and uh, the Sinhalese then you know targeted them and killed um, 
you know, many other Tamil civilians, you know, if you've seen Jon Snow's Killing Fields as well, it's a, it's a very moving documentary uh, about it in more context, but um, they were brutally, civilians were brutally attacked and persecuted. And I think that it was the actual Tamil Tigers that were recruiting members of their Tamil the, you know the Tamil population to come on board but in actual fact it was becoming detrimental to their cause. So what you were saying is that um, the the creation of the um, Tamil Tigers uh, yes. you know that have been seen um, um, as in quotes a terrorist organization uh, yes. before the creation the Tamil community was unarmed and peaceful but they have been you know so oppressed that they were driven to take up arms and later adopted um you know tactics and uh, violence that became rather as you said detrimental to their own cause yeah that's right so, yeah. so the the tamil struggle uh, against uh, you know the uh, racist sinhalese uh, buddhist control state preceded or predated uh, the um, the rise of tamil tiger correct me if i'm wrong yes it did it, it's it's been going on it went on for about 60 years prior to their emergence and it started in 1948 when tamils were um being targets of riots by which they believed were from the Sinhalese authorities and they felt um, heavily marginalized and politically defranchised by what the uh, Sri Lankan government was doing so it, it, it's been a long-standing you know uh, apocalypse of persecution and uh, marginalization that they've had experienced which their anger led them to take action you know, against the Sinhalese, um, you know, minority, uh, sorry, Sinhalese authorities and the government at that time. And um, they've just been calling for freedom, really. They want to have their rights. And, you know, their cause was legitimate, you know. I mean, they were persecuted and they were marginalised. And this is some of a feeling that Muslims get as well now in the country, that they're being marginalised too. But I think the way they went about it... Um, was obviously wrong but as you can see with the easter bombings now with this um terrorist who you know it's not following any of the tenets of islam the same way that viratu and some of the other monks are probably not following any of the tenets of buddhism either because it's a peaceful religion but they come under the guise of re religiosity when they're in fact far from it and then they propagate kind of their own agendas and similar to the tamil tigers um they believe that there were you know tamils majority of them were hindus um you know fighting for their rights it wasn't so much a religious kind of uh organization but it was more uh this kind of rebel group that they formed to really kind of fight and destruction but they they caused a lot of deaths within their own community who died as well unfortunately yeah sister i, I mean here I, I i want to um uh the, uh second what you're saying uh, about you know the marginalization and it it actually came from um surprisingly um uh, i mean i mean it literally surprisingly from a former top general of a sri lankan army uh but the, i i went to a conference in uh, new delhi last year on the um international security and uh, extremisms and there was this um you know the uh, retired uh, five star uh, general uh, from uh, Colombo who was in attendance 
and um, you know we had a one-on-one -on -one, uh, breakfast and then uh, the, uh, he 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 you know uh, candidly said um, you know we had a marginalized uh, we meaning Sinhali state has yes. marginalized and discriminated against the Tamil community for so long and so you know that was after the military defeat uh, the crushing of Tamil tigers so uh, w w was he able to come to terms with the fact that Sri Lankan state was the trigger for the violence it was receiving from the Tamils because of the uh, extreme uh, marginalization. Yes. Um, and the, the one thing I want to pick up on, you, you mentioned you know, Islam being peaceful, uh, the uh, Buddhism uh, being a peaceful religion. Yes. What, what, what we are seeing is actually the, um, the, the complete antithesis of what these religions, you know, uh, yes. stand for and what these religions promote. But I, I want to take one issue here because, you know, if you look at the um, Black Lives Matter yes. uh, that is happening uh, in this country and around the world, many of us are very excited and inspired uh, yes. uh, the, by the fact that, you know, the uh, Black community stood up of uh, uh, you know and uh, resume their civil rights struggle. Uh, now, uh, the, the, many of us identify with the um, with the blacks in Western civilization because yeah. we are also from uh, formerly uh, colonized uh, countries, right? Yes. But I think if you look at the uh, slavery, the Christian Church was uh, right at the center of you know uh, both the funding financing and profiting from slavery yeah, yeah. so so the, the you know the pope themselves i mean like the the, uh, uh, the uh, if you look at say the the um uh, the voyage of columbus this yeah. was uh, funded by uh, spanish uh, the christian monarch that was the official title of the uh, uh, the the ferdinand uh, the uh, king, the king of um, uh, uh, spain and then it was, you know, he was also supported in term both financially and, and spiritually by the Vatican. Yeah. Right. And then if you look at what's happening in Israel today, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the Israel declared itself official, uh, you know, Jewish, the Jewish state. Yeah. Yes. So, so we, you see, like, and then like, if you look at the, uh, our neighbors in India under BJP, yeah. we yeah. have. Hindu fundamentalist government that even attempts to change the name of India to Bharat, yeah, only yes, for the yes. Hindus, right? I know. And, and then, so we've got like these like so-called world's major religions, you know, or name them like Islam, you know, ISIS and Taliban, yes. and, and then the Burmese and the Sinhalese Buddhists and with yes. mongers, and they're like Christian Christianity, you know, getting involved in slave trade, the church. And then, like you know, uh, uh, Judaism, yeah, yeah. That, that that teaches the the, the adherence to greet each other, a shalom, peace. Yes, peace. And then, so I think, I think what that tells us is, um, uh, you know, the any religion can be turned into murderous ideology. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and obviously, your community um, in. Um, Sri Lanka Muslims and the Tamil uh, Hindus primarily you are on the receiving end of you know Buddhist militarism and violence yeah yeah and then so what how do we 
how do we draw the line between um you know religion for peace and religion as a violent ideology yeah that's a very good question dr zani i mean i think i think to be honest i i think that there needs to be that distinguished difference being made because i think what a lot of people do uh for example you mentioned about israel now um I, as a journalist, I criticise uh, governments when they do something wrong. But, you know, um, a lot of activists who's perhaps um, criticise um, the government of Israel has been accused of anti-Semitism because of the link to Judaism, when in fact it's, it, the, some of the comments are nothing to do with Judaism. It's about the policies of the Israeli government. So I think there needs to draw a line between religion and you know, countries and states and the way they run things. I think that there needs to be, you know, we need to know that there is a difference. And obviously, um, logical people like ourselves will make that difference, you know, but there are some people who are quite ignorant, who stem everything all together and, uh, you know, take things at face value. And that becomes the problem. Well, I think, I think, you know, it is entirely possible for many of us to stand up and speak out against any type of anti-Semitic behavior, you yes. know, like the uh, you know the vandalism against the Jewish cemeteries across That's Europe, uh, you know, any type of like you know uh, anti-Jewish uh, hate speech against uh, the Jewish communities across the world, yes, and and, uh, and still, you know be critical of the state of israel you know yes. i would not i would not call uh, my country buddhist country when yes. it is committing a genocide against the muslims yeah that's of course, i would yeah. not call um uh, saudi arabia um you know truly practicing you know islamic country when it oppresses women and uh, you know behead uh, bloggers yes. uh it's simply exercising a freedom of speech within bounds yeah? yeah and so why should we spare the state of israel just simply because israel wraps itself in the flag of judaism you see what i mean and yeah. it, 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 it is actually a, a, a disingenuous political strategy uh, essentially yeah. a, a strategy of witch hunt you know yeah. to label people who stand for human rights irrespective right. of uh, you know faith or race or geography as yeah. anti-semitic i mean even from within the jewish communities there's yeah. a growing support among the younger generation educated uh, jews in america yeah. or in this country that recognizes that israel is behaving like the nazis towards yes. the palestinians you know right. looks yes. at the facts objectively know the annexation plan the nafa yes. you know the drive yes. uh, you know forced relocation of palestinians by the hundreds of thousands to yes. create the state of israel so so i i, I would not be worried about being called anti-semitic because i am not and i yes. would stand up for any um, any human community that is yes. subject to 
you know, the, the state persecution. And so yes. I, I don't think you should either. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right, um, Doctor, because even uh, I have spoken out against anti-Semitism and I know, you know, I've, I've done that publicly in, uh, in Huffington Post and other publications where I've spoken out uh, against Islamophobia and anti-Semitism hand in hand and how we should collectively uh, target it. But you're absolutely right that when there's injustices going on uh, by governments like the Israeli government, we do need to speak up as well and, and fight for our you know, Palestinian uh, community that's going through a lot of hardship at the moment. It's the same with any country. It's not just Israel, you know, when there's injustice going on as human rights activists, we need to speak up and make our voices heard. Um, yeah, but despite the fact that, you know, there are uh, smears that go around, you know, if you do something, especially if it comes from a Muslim, for example, because they automatically think um, in a negative light, I would say. Right. Um, you, you, you have... Um travel to france appear on the uh, um france 24 that is uh, yes. their uh, you know the, their equivalent of bbc um, yeah. um on the issue of uh you know the french state banning uh the, uh, the islamic veil yeah yeah uh, particularly by the muslim woman of france yeah? can you uh, can you share your thoughts on um on your position, why um, you know it is culturally violate for any state to tell Muslim women what they do with their bodies, how they cover or not yes. cover with them, because you know there there are there are so many uh, the different views within the um, Muslim uh, woman community, and yeah. then, then a woman make their own choices right it's nobody else's business certainly exactly. not the state's business can you yeah. explain like your, uh, what transpired in france and and your own involvement you know through your writing and media appearances i think you know france is definitely showing a lot of islamophobic sentiment um you know i think that the muslims women in the country feel very discriminated against they feel that they're lacking the freedom to uh, show their devotion to god by wearing the hijab or not wearing the you know even just a normal muslim woman with a muslim name gets discriminated against going for jobs because i've done a lot of work about what Muslim women are facing in the country. And I think um, the actual French president uh, seems to be very dismissive of claims of Islamophobia. They talk a lot about secularism and they, they lead it back to this argument of secularism when in fact they're violating and clearly violating Muslims' human rights here by not allowing Muslim women to, you know, wear the face veil or hijab. And, I think a lot of Muslim women who wear the face belt are quite happy to buy, be identified with identification problems or security problems that they're worried about. You know, they're quite happy to be identified, but they feel that, you know, they're not even allowed to do that. And now with the coronavirus, what was even more ironic and hypocritical is that they made face masks mandatory in the country, but they still banned the niqab and everybody thought that was absolutely hilarious i mean you know <laughs> they've they you know it still covers the same part of the face but they want to make that stance known that you know this is not allowed and i think it's it's wrong yeah um you know you you've also written um 
extensively about your, um, you know, uh, uh, your parents and your husband's country, Sri Lanka. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, there, the uh, Muslim community, as well as uh, Tamil minorities, are, um, you know, discriminated openly uh, by the society. Uh, you know, the, the, you go into the shops and being not welcome uh, yeah. for a woman to come in with bail. Uh, or the, um, you know, the state itself, uh, you know, uh, privileging one religion above the rest and yeah. calling itself uh, basically in, in countries like Sri Lanka or Burma, uh, the states uh, or governments or political leaders uh, present themselves as devout Buddhists, uh, patrons of the Buddhism. And, yeah. and, you know, uh, I think, like, you know, if you look at their policies, you know, whether it's Aung San Suu Kyi's policies or Rajapaksa's brother's policies, yeah. they're, you know, quite like, racist and murderous and exploitative. Yeah. And then clearly, um, in, in my view, they don't qualify as practicing Buddhists. They are no, using Buddhism to catch the votes from the Buddhist majority electorates, right? And then yeah. you also see, um, you know, um, the similarly Islamophobic, uh, you know, policies in France, uh, Islamophobic um, views and sentiments openly expressed in a country like UK, particularly like, you know, uh, the Tories, the conservative, yes. uh, you know, the Baroness Wazi has raised the issue. She is conservative. She yes. knows what she's talking about. And That's the same true. in the United States, yeah. Uh, yes. there, uh, the, the Islamophobia is shared across Europe, um, you know, the, um, and now across India and uh, entire Buddhist world, you know. Yes. How do, what does it feel as a Muslim with the multiple identities? You, know, you are also British, you are born Londoner, uh, yes. You also have roots in uh, Sri Lanka. You're Absolutely. also, uh, um, you know, a Muslim, uh, a professional, uh, a writer, uh, you know, uh, working within the established uh, media institutions. How do you juggle these multiple identities and issues that come uh, with respective identities in a, in a place like Britain? I think it's very challenging, to be honest, to, you know, uh, juggle them completely. I think even with my writing, because I'm very outspoken in my writings and I, you know, kind of like to bring about the facts. And also I do a lot of investigative work which expose certain elements of government's injustice and that has led to actually getting death threats from my own native country of Sri Lanka because the governments are so authoritarian there. Um, so even the Saudi government has disliked some of the things I've criticised against them. So you do get targeted for dissenting, being a dissenting voice sometimes. Um, but I think what's important is if you believe that an injustice is going on and you truly believe that your voice 
can even make a small difference. You know, I'm not a very renowned um, journalist compared to some of the probably um, ones who are working full time in the mainstream media. But even if it just reaches one person and make them reflect on something, I think my job is done that way because you can still, you know, use your voice to create some positive change. And I think we need to continue to call for action and um you know, to call a, against some of the human rights violations that are going on in the world, whether it's Rohingya, whether it's Sri Lankan Muslims, whether it's Sri Lankan Christians or, you know, Buddhists, um, being, you know, any, any religion who's been targeted, um, faith or non-faith groups, we do need to look into it and try our best um, if we're giving a position as being a journalist and in that privileged position to use our platforms in a positive way. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, the, I, I was raised Buddhist and, and obviously, um, um, you know, uh, you, uh, you were raised a, a Muslim and uh, you're a practicing and devout a Muslim. Um, yeah. But we don't have to believe in the same thing, but exactly. we have to at least share the value that says that, um, you know, you have the right to believe in what you yeah. believe in and if that right is under threat or in viol uh, in uh, violated yeah. um, then I, I must come to your solidarity i must come to your side and stand with me yeah and that's yes. you know the so freedom of religion everyone is entitled and yeah. and also like we have to be prepared to you know stand up for others whose that's rights true. are violated because you know, the, the, there's a famous uh, poem, you know, um, the, I, I don't stand up for the Jews and, uh, you know, I don't stand up for the Catholics. And then when my, you know, when my turn comes, there is no one left to stand up for me. You see what I mean? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we've got to, that, that shows, you know, it's a testament to the fact, and Black Lives Matter was also around the testament to the fact that it brought communities together as well to stand for their cause and, you know, um, call for justice so i think that's also another testament to how we can get together collectively to inspire change yeah um um you you you've been following the uh, black lives matter in the twitter and and also other places obviously um can you share your thoughts on uh you know why you think black lives matter uh, is relevant to all of us who are not Africans or African descent. Yeah, I think we've all encountered some form of hate, you know, uh, in various different facets. You know, there could be every single one of us must have experienced, you know, a different manifestation of hate from someone. And I think that we can all relate to having that personal experience of dealing with negativity and i think that shared solidarity of wanting that change wanting to be seen be seen for who we are especially now as a muslim woman i can totally relate to having felt victimized or um, marginalized as well for my beliefs or being made to uh, you know a lot of people have these stereotypes of muslim women and put us in a kind of suppress us in a box and i think many black people also find that they are being judged a lot as well just for the color of their skin which is completely wrong so i think all these factors are relatable and it makes us you know have that heartfelt feeling towards this cause and want to stand up and do more to fight for their rights and um you know rights of people all around the world facing hate yeah do, do, 
you've correct me if I'm wrong, you feel like um, you know the the black British or the uh, black Americans, um, you feel uh, people make judgments based on the appearance uh, you know that indicate that you are of Islamic faith. Um, also, you know you feel um, you are being profiled, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by, by by the watchful eyes, the, the community, uh, you know, uh, the the government, uh, the law enforcement agencies. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you can you talk about what is it like um, to feel that you are under surveillance by yeah. society? I'm, I don't mean it to say you know yeah. MI five or anything. Yeah. yeah. But but by the neighbors, you know, by those who who have a, um, you know, a, a false idea of Islam as this violent, murderous ideology exported out of the deserts of the Middle East. Yeah. Well, what is it, it like to live um, um, in a place where you are being watched with pairs of suspicious eyes? Well, it's very heartbreaking in one way because you feel that you're not trusted, even though you've personally done nothing wrong. But being, for example, in my personal circumstance, being a visibly Muslim woman, the first thing they see is my article of faith upon my head and they judge me based on that. So they directly link that, oh, she's a Muslim woman. And then if they have negative connotations, that will show on their face. And I have experienced Islamophobia, you know, whilst out in Glasgow. Um, so I know how hard it is and how upsetting it is having to explain to your children why certain groups of people don't like you just because of your faith and um, unfortunately the mainstream media hasn't really helped in the perception of Muslims and their kind of representation of the way Muslims are it's, it's totally most likely it's more negative representations that they put on the mainstream media which have led to um, more discrimination more rise of far-right agendas you see a lot of far-right protesters now coming into major cities you saw it even with the Black Lives Matter uh, protests where their far right groups came to ca do counter protests, and um, that feeling of you know being judged or being um, not watched perhaps like in a big brother style, but yeah, sometimes often judged, for example, if there's a terror attack. Um, you just feel like saying to people that look, that's just not a representation of Islam, that's somebody's own agenda, somebody's hateful, you know, and it's totally wrong. Um, and it's nothing to do with the actual tenets of Islam and they're going totally against it. And I don't know if you found that frustration um, as, a, as a Buddhist um, as well, when people are using the faith to do violent acts. Yes, uh, of course. Um, but at the same time, you know, the, uh, um, you know, I don't experience, um, uh, I, I can never say that I understand yeah. what Islamophobia uh you, you know would do to my psyche yeah because uh, in in the in the western eyes there is this that uh, binary uh, but buddhists are portrayed as like you know uh, meditating uh, peaceful quiet loving law yeah. Uh, yeah and then like you know islam um, you know islam is portrayed as this violent uh, yes. you know, like you know uh, the 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 um, uh, polygamous uh, uh, ideology yes, that, yes. That, that is that poses the greatest threat to peace and harmony uh, around yes. the world 
And so, you yes. know, like in, there, there is this, um, you know, this Western construction, um, yeah. one foreign religion, Buddhism is romanticized. And then yeah. the uh, uh, another religion, Islam, is demonized and dehumanized. Yeah? Yes. And then so, so we are caught in between these, uh, you know, Western, uh, um, the Western concepts of who we are or what we believe in. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, the, but neither, neither, I mean, of course, like, you know, uh, in my view, um, the Muslims have become, you know, the Jews of all Europe. Yeah. yeah. Or what the Jews of old Europe must have gone through the, is what the uh, uh, the Muslims today are going through, and you That's know I right. cannot imagine that uh, your you know one's own identity itself makes one a uh, guilty a priori. Yes. And 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 and, and a and a legitimate target for stabbing. Or yes. in the United States, that you know we don't have very many guns in this country, but in the U.S. Um, yeah, you know the the, uh, the gun violence is so prevalent that you know That's Muslim lives are as vulnerable as black lives. That's know? right. You're absolutely right. And I think you could see it even in China with the Uyghur Muslims that are yes. being persecuted on such a big scale. But that's all kind of being swept under the carpet because China being the superpower as well. There's all these powerful countries that are taking the lead and sweeping some of these uh, abuses that they do towards the Muslim community under the carpet. Yeah, well, I mean, as you 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 may have seen it, uh, the, the latest uh, research report uh, coming out of, um, uh, uh, I believe, uh, USA, uh, one of the uh, think tanks. I think like some, um, you know, fairly conservative, uh, but but uh, it, nonetheless, the report is saying that China is pursuing mass sterilization of Uyghur women to make sure that Muslim population does not grow. That's the kind of thing that, um, that the Nazis would do, you know? Yeah, yeah, and, it's extremely worrying. Yeah, let, let me ask you this, um, uh, you know, how do you deal with, I mean, you know, all religious communities are also run by men, you know, like the, uh, yeah. The, you know, the, all the a lot of major institutions around the world are in the hands of men of different yeah. religion and colors. And uh, all religions are basically headed by men. Yeah? yeah. And so basically we, you know, the, you, you live in, um, in basically a men's world. And yeah. that, you know, that uh, also cuts across um, religions. And Islam has been, um, uh, vulnerable to yeah. the criticism that uh, women have been treated um, second class, yeah. And yeah. and uh, um, is there anything that um, um, you encounter uh, within your religious community that makes you feel less, or that that treats you as a second class vis-a-vis, -vis, you know, um, the uh, the Muslim men? I, I personally haven't um, experienced that, to be honest. I, I've actually had quite a positive, um, you know, experience. But I know that there are Muslim women who may have experienced feeling that they are, you know, treated a bit differently. But that, again, goes very much against the tenets of Islam. I mean, historically, um, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, his wife was a businesswoman. She was younger than the Prophet. She proposed to the Prophet. So she was doing these kind of uh, 
unheard yeah, progressive, of progressive thing. <laughs> yeah, progressive things in that Meccan period. So these are facts that people are often unaware about, you see, um, but they were very quite progressive and they had their own voices and they were, you know, strong, powerful women of the time. Uh, but again, the representation of Muslim women has evolved um, considerably since then. And um, they're looked upon as, as you said, they're looked upon as quite oppressive, quite meek or, um, you know, under a, under the kind of man's authority, which is far from the truth. I mean, we, we're taught to that the, the best of men are the best um, of those to their wives, for example. So that even in a marriage, there has to be that mutual love and that um, kindness. So there's a lot of different things in Islam that people don't see and it's not portrayed well enough. So, um, but I can't say that there isn't instances where men are treating women differently, but I would say that that's more down to culture than religion. It's a cultural thing. So it's it's not <clears throat> a condoned um, either, uh, you know, doctrinally or spiritually. Um, yeah. You know, the the mistreatment, uh, the denigration of women is yeah. not uh, condoned by Islam. Um, yes. a, a, as a faith, it, it, but it is uh, the, the, the essentially done in the name of culture by using uh, Islam as a um, as a shield. That that's right. Yeah? That that's exactly what it is. Yes, it's not it's not at all. Um, you know the way that men are using Islam as a guise to treat women in such a way it's 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 totally against the religion and i think it's all down to culture their perhaps their cultural their upbringing or the way their parents were it's it's various other factors that have contributed to the way they treat women you know today right um you've got um you know we we are coming to to, uh, uh, to, to the close of our conversation um you've got four boys and a girl yeah um, um <laughs> Uh, how are you raising them in the British context that you've got a larger, you know, uh, the dominant British culture, uh, yeah. primarily, uh, you know, uh, and then you've got um, your own culture and then they've got their grandparents, you know, um, yeah. uh, the Sri Lankan culture. Um, and, and so, so how are you raising your sons and, and, and one daughter? in this kind of um, very multicultural uh, context? Well, I think it's important for them to be in touch with all, uh, you know, their roots, whether it's, you know, the British essence of their roots, uh, Sri Lankan and their identity as a Muslim. And we also encourage them to, you know, integrate well within the community, to learn about other faiths, to be open-minded, to be respectful. Um, I think that's really important because we live in a multicultural society and we should embrace differences and celebrate one another. So I've really taught my children to be very respectful of everybody and learn about one another and, um, you know, really try to bring them up um, to to be to leave a legacy themselves when they grow up you know and that's what we're trying to do and um i mean it's funny i think they would more identify with the british side you know <laughs> than any other side i think they find for example when we go back to sri lanka some of the things a bit different than they would do here so um 
in that respect, they identify more with the British side, but we do try to keep them connected to their family members in Sri Lanka and their roots and some of the language. But I can't really talk because I can't speak the Tamil language myself. I can understand it, but I can't actually speak. <laughs> but my husband can speak both Tamil and Sinhalese, so they have that element of uh, knowledge of those cultural things as well. Well, you know, um, I, th I think... You know, diversity is a wonderful thing. Like if you yes. speak, um, you know, different languages, yeah. you've got more than one pair of eyes. You know, the languages are windows to the world. And, yes. and so, it, you know, I, I think um, uh, that we don't have to belong to a single culture, a single identity. Yes. I mean, in this day and age, you know, one of the things... Uh, that, that come with the globalization is like you know we're able to travel um, yeah. you know, uh, the back and forth uh, between uh, ancestral countries um, and and our own um, you know birth or host countries That's and right. so your you know your children are very blessed um, to have been exposed to different civilization and and certainly to have a mother who is a, a, a working professional uh, mother who oh, raises, uses her voice uh, for on behalf of the oppressed and so uh, any final thoughts uh, before we end the conversation no i think it you've summed it up really love really nicely <laughs> i think that's the, the great thing about it is having that diversity and embracing one another and being respectful and also using our voices and our skills and whatever talents we have to contribute to the world and leave a legacy i think that's really important well um thank you sister and uh, it's been a real pleasure uh, to have uh, the conversation with you and uh, um, I will keep you informed about when, um, you know, this podcast will be released. And yeah. I am talking to uh, the award-winning uh, British Muslim mother, journalist and writer, Tasneem Nazia. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you so much.